0: Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts uh, live on the air. I am filling in for Pastor Eric Cartier, who is usually here uh, from Rocky Mountain Calvary on Fridays, but I am filling in for him today. He's got the week off. Want to say welcome to those of you listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to greet everyone listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and Maryland. So glad to be syndicated. And we're also syndicated on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. So. We're glad to be uh, being able to reach out over the airwaves to so many people in different areas and how God is using and blessing this program. We also know that there are many of you who listen online, so we want to say welcome to you. Uh, We know that there are some of you who tune in via our mobile app, and um, if you don't have that mobile app yet, we definitely encourage you to go and get it. Just go in your app store for whatever mobile device you have, your phone or your tablet, and just type in Grace FM, and it should come up Right away, there on Grace FM, you can listen live to this program and all the other programs on Grace FM with that mobile app, or you can always listen in your browser. If you just go to gracefm.com, you can listen live wherever you are, anywhere in the world. And uh, you know, it's cool when we get calls sometimes from uh, different parts, which I know are not in our broadcast area but they call in because they're regular listeners to the show over the app, over the website. So whether you tuned in today over the air or online, we're glad that you are with us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. And just a reminder that those of you listening on the East Coast and the area around Tennessee, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay, so we would love to hear from you. We'd love to have you call in and answer your questions, and then uh, you'll be able to tune in the following week and listen to yourself on the radio one week from now. So give us a call, number to call 303-690-3000, 303 690 or text us at 720-336-0897. Again, this is the show where you can call in with questions about the Bible. If uh, something has come up in your Bible reading that you've been confused by or or interested to learn more about, we'd love to discuss that with you and hopefully help you answer those questions or explore that topic in a little more depth. And um, you can uh, text us, of course, with those questions as well. We tend to give priority to the callers. And, and here at the beginning of the show is always kind of the best time to call in. Um, again, the number 303-690-3000, that's 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Uh, if you can call in with your questions about the Bible, or if you have a prayer request, we would love to pray for you, and uh, and we'd love to pray for things going on in your life, and, and maybe tell you what God's Word says about it. One uh, person texts in right now asking a question, what is the best question you've ever gotten on this show? Man, I don't remember. I've gotten so many. Uh, I think that uh, the for me, the best calls are the ones where I had one caller who called in who was so sincere and just had this question about salvation. And during their question and answer time, I was able to lead that person to a relationship with Jesus and, and to a saving faith where that person realized that they were, you know, they were trying to relate to God on the basis of their works and not on the basis of what Jesus had done. And that person was like just so blown away by the gospel right there on the spot. And we prayed together to receive Jesus. So that was definitely <clears throat> the highlight of the show, hosting the show over the past, I think it's been about uh, just a, or about over a year now that I've been doing the show on a regular basis. So, um, Yeah, and so usually I host on Mondays, and I'm your host every Monday, but every now and then, you know, us different hosts, we fill in for each other. I'm going to be away a few times in November, and I know that the other hosts will be Filling in for me, and I'll be filling in a few extra times in October because of that. So I'll be with you a few extra times this month. Just a few words about myself. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a church in Longmont, Colorado, that loves Jesus, and we love we love God's Word, and we love to worship. And so our church meets in downtown Longmont at the St. Vrain Memorial Building which is at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. So we're on Longs Peak and Kaufman, just the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman, And we are one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue, right in downtown Longmont. So if you know where Roosevelt Park is, that's the city park in Longmont. We are right on the corner of it, just uh, really in the heart of the city. And the, the Memorial Building is, is really the heart of Longmont. And so our church meets there and... We would love to have you join us. We have a great children's ministry. And uh, it's just a really vibrant season in our church right now. We're really excited about what God is doing. You can check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. It's whitefieldschurch.com. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And um, let's see, we're studying through Romans right now. We are now going to be looking this Sunday at Romans chapter 11, which is a really, I'd say it's one of the more... um, I found that in my preparation this week, I'm struggling to, um, I'm struggling to really get it together. This Bible study because I want to do it justice, and it's just such a good chapter. And it's all about how there's more going on than meets the eye with the nation of Israel. That God hasn't cast them off, and the reason that matters is because if. God cast off Israel, his people, who were his chosen people, who he gave all these privileges to and promises to, then who's to say that God won't also cast us off at some point? That if God... Placed his love and favor on them, but then cast them away. Who's to say that God won't cast us away? And so these are really important questions, not just from a kind of theological curiosity standpoint about, hey, what's what's the deal with this or what's the deal with that regarding Israel? But from our own standpoint, and I think it's really incredible the fact that it uh, talks about how though Israel has in ways been unfaithful to God. God has not given up on them. God remains faithful. And that gives me so much hope to know that God is a faithful God who keeps his promises and that he's working out this elaborate plan uh, so that his people can be brought back. And so it'll be really interesting this Sunday. We're going to look at some stuff. We're going to talk about a couple of uh, ideas on this, like, you know, kind of there's this idea called replacement theology there's another idea called dual covenant theology and and then there's this interesting verse that says that all israel will be saved and it talks about the fullness of the gentiles so i'm going to be teaching on all of those things this coming sunday and also making some application for our lives and uh if you are in the longmont area we'd love to have you join us for that study 10 a.m. Sunday mornings, check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. We're in downtown Longmont. If you're in Longmont or any of the surrounding communities within driving distance, we'd love to have you come and worship with us this Sunday at Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. We also have a a cool thing going on in church right now that I wanted to tell you about, and that's our school of ministry. We just started our fall semester this past weekend, or past week, sorry. Started on Tuesday and Wednesday. We're running three classes this week, uh, this year, uh, in our fall semester, we have a class on an overview of the Old Testament, kind of a eight week class, kind of flyover aerial view of the Old Testament. and then we're doing we're doing a six week class on apologetics. this is apologetics part one. It's called Reason to Believe, and then we're going to do part two of it in the springtime. We're also doing a worship course. So if any of those things are of interest to you, we would just love to serve anybody who wants to grow and be equipped for the work of the Lord. So just check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. Shoot us an email, info at com, or give us a call at the number that you can find on our website there. Let's go to Dennis in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Dennis. Welcome to the program.
2: Uh, hi, Pastor. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. What's up?
2: Um, I, I kind of wanted to ask your opinion on uh, maybe what would be the proper way or if there is a proper way the correct way to evangelize and what your thoughts are on street preachers uh, people that stand on the corner on the streets and and uh and uh, just do open air preaching and and because uh, i've seen um some some you know videos on youtube where you know if it appears some do it very well and gracefully while others seem very abrasive in in their way what, you, what are your take on
0: that Yeah. So my take on it is this. I think that we need more um, people to step up and take hold of their calling as evangelists. You know, there's two things on this. Some people are given the gift of evangelism in the New Testament. Uh, We see that that's a spiritual gift. We also see that um, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. And I remember that I worked with a guy in uh, Hungary when I was a missionary over there. And, you know, he would he would say this. That, you know, he would say, you know, I'm just not an evangelist. I'm more of just a, a teacher and pastor, but I'm not an evangelist. And I remember that we had another pastor come by who is, um, <clears throat> you know, older and, and kind of more experienced, had a lot of, you know, wisdom and authority. And this pastor told that that man, he said, uh, he said, look, I don't care if you don't feel like you are an evangelist. Uh, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And I, I think that, you know, for some people it's work to do evangelism. And for some people, it's totally natural. And I love being around those people for whom it's totally natural. My wife is like that. She loves to evangelize. It just comes so naturally to her. And to a degree, my, I, I feel that way myself. <clears throat> but I've also been around people for whom it's it's a lot of work to evangelize. And I would just encourage you with that. We need more people in this world to do the work of evangelism. Rather than worrying about, you know, am I gifted or not? And and you know what I would say is that I would say, um, should we do street preaching? Should we not? I say, yeah, we should. We should do all kinds of evangelism. I think that we should do evangelism in every way we can possibly do it. You know, whether that's, you know, personally myself, I write a blog. And part of the reason I write that blog is because I want to get the word out there to people who are bloggers. I, I want to get it out there via social media. I want to get it out there when I preach in my church. I want to get it out there when I'm talking to people on the street. So I, I don't think there's a wrong, uh, you know, well, let's say this. I don't, I don't think there's a wrong avenue. For doing evangelism, I think that we should be looking for every possible way to preach the word at all times. I mean, this is that you know, the word gospel. It, it's a proclamation. It's a declaration of good news of something that has been accomplished. And uh, <clears throat> if you think back to what the word originally meant, it was it was like you know, let's say your let's say your king had a, a a victory in a faraway land. Well, that that herald would bring back the uh evangelizo you know the gospel the good news uh, of that victory and he would proclaim it everywhere to everybody he passed by and just you know so okay but to your point yeah i've seen people do it really badly i've seen people do it so badly that they actually turn people off from from following jesus rather than um turning them on to it you know and they can almost be a hindrance in rather than a a help Yeah. Uh, yeah a few thoughts on that um one good thing to know is that it's not just up to us, right? Like God uses us, but in the end, there's a lot more going on. Like Romans eight twenty nine, it says those whom he foreknew, you know, he predestined and he chose and, those, and he justified and he glorified. In other words, it's telling us that God is sovereign over all of these things and he uses us. But that's really encouraging because it means it doesn't all depend on us. And one thing I think about is... Think about this guy, Jonah. Do you ever read Jonah's sermon like that he preached when he went to Nineveh? Literally the world's worst sermon ever, right? Like he's like (laughs) four more days and God's just going to destroy you guys. And I hope he does. Bye. And then like everybody gets saved, right? 40 days. I'm sorry. 40 days, not four days, 40 days. And then, uh, and he's like, all right, God's going to crush you guys. And I kind of hope he does. I'm going to go watch from the mountain now and just hope that you guys all get it and bye. That's his sermon, and it says that everybody repented in sackcloth and ashes, which is, uh, you know, just it, it's encouraging for us to know. Our job is to be faithful to do what God has asked us to do, and his job, the Holy Spirit's job, is to bring conviction. And he can use even the, you know, the simplest words. I, I, I remember talking to people before who said that they remember when somebody told them about the gospel, and they can't even remember what that person said they just know that somehow God used it to stir up something within them. And uh, so I, oh, I wow. think that's one part. But, you know, I, I do think he, we want to do it winsomely. We want to make the gospel appealing to people. And so we should seek to do that. And we should. And, and Paul says that phrase. He says, I seek to persuade all people to, to receive the gospel. So I think we should do that.
2: Okay. Does that Thank answer you, your Be question. Cautious. Yes, yes, that was uh, yeah pretty pretty insightful. Thanks, uh, cool. everybody, really to yeah. get another God take on it.
0: Yeah, and Dennis, I just encourage you go out there, do the work of evangelism. Okay.
2: Thanks, Pastor. Yeah, we'll do. All it. All right.
0: God bless you. All right. God bye bless. Bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefield's Community Church, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to James in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, James, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. Um yeah. I had a question regarding. The requirement of the belief in the Trinity for salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was raised and still believe that Jesus Christ and God are two separate entities, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again in three days, um, and that he took upon him the, the sin of the world, that he was the second Adam, in essence, as scriptures state it. But as I listen to more and more of Calvary's teachings, um, they're very strict on the concept that any Jesus that is not God is not Jesus, and therefore is not suitable for salvation. Okay. Um, And I was looking to see if you had some specific verses on that that could show that it is a contingency for salvation.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know if I could point you to a verse that says, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then you're not saved. But I would say that this gets into the area of systematic theology. So I I study, um, I'm studying integrated theology in my master's program right now. And the other thing I'm studying right now and within that is um, systematic theology. And so what systematic theology does is the goal is to study a topic and Take what we call biblical theology, which is everything that the Bible says about it but also What makes it systematic is that we are trying to understand what Christians have always understood about this and um, And what Christians ought to think about this based on the Bible and so when we take a systematic View of Christology, which is that who is Christ? Yeah. Um, then I think that we must acknowledge that he is indeed God. One verse that has come to my mind recently um, is this one. Check this out. This is Romans chapter 9, just because I've been teaching through Romans. I came through this verse the other day. Romans 9 verse 5 says this. um, Speaking of the Jews, it says, To the Jews belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. God over all. And it's saying that the Christ is God over all. That's a very incredible verse. And if you look at historical interpretations of that, it has never not been understood to speak of Jesus and the Christ, I mean, the Messiah being God himself. Um, If we look at Isaiah, you know, Old Testament, it speaks of, uh, you know, you're probably very familiar with this verse. I'm sure you sound like somebody who's read a lot on the topic. So, um, you know, Isaiah, he says that there will be a child, To us, a son is given, and that child will be um, God himself, is what that says. So this is going to be a child who is also going to be God. And so this is um, something that's taught throughout the Bible. Yeah, it says, "For uh, to us, a child is born. This is a human. A son is given. The government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So this is a child who is going to be called Mighty God.
2: Not to interject, and I know that this is a... point to preach, so I'm not trying to.
0: Yeah. But
2: I know that within there, there's also the idea that Joseph is called a god to Pharaoh, and the Israelites are called the gods to people, um, mm-hmm. in Judges, I believe it is. So I'm not as much trying to get clarification on the Trinity at that point. Sure. I'm mostly looking for the idea of, where is it that Calvary Chapel gets such a strong conviction towards the idea that someone who does not believe that Jesus directly is God, mm-hmm. but believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, as you're going through Romans, and Romans 10, what is it, 10, 9, and 10,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it basically sets up the clarification for what is necessary for salvation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, okay, that well, okay.
2: The ability to, to, to be so brazen as to say that people who don't believe that are going to hell.
0: Yeah, well, let's think about this from a
2: scripture exegesis, not isogical fashion. Sure. If that makes
0: sense. Yeah, let's go for it. It says,
2: and verse, please let me know if I'm getting too confrontational. My goal is to just ask for understanding, you're not, and I don't want to come off any other no, way. No, no,
0: you're fine. So check this out. He says, um, "For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved." Right. That. But what do they confess? Verse nine. This is Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? This was the cry of the early Christians. And so here's what he says. Here's the um, requirements for salvation. Confessing that uh, believing. Yeah, so Jesus is Lord. You know, in Greek, it's the word Kyrios, Lord. And in Hebrew, it's the word Adonai, which is the name which um, was specifically used for Um, The name Yahweh because the Jews wouldn't say it. And so what we see here is what does it even mean that Jesus is Lord? Does it just mean that he is supreme or does it in fact mean that one of the requirements for salvation is to believe that Jesus is In fact the God who saves And and I do believe that that's the case and I'll tell you why it really gets down to our Christology And it gets to this question which we can we can discuss a little bit is is a Christ who is not God able to save And that that, that really is the big question.
2: The plan that God originally derived, I mean if he wasn't man, would he be called the second Adam?
0: No, he was man, so let's let's not say that we're talking about mono uh physitism, right, which is to say that Jesus is only man or only God. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that that is the mono, it's called monophysitism. It's when you believe that Jesus only has one nature and that he is only God. Now, there are some churches who believe that, but they are outside of the realm of orthodoxy. So that would be like the um, Coptic church, for example, in Egypt. They believe in monophysitism. Um, But but let's uh, just stick with this. The point is that Christians, uh, you know, ever since... We have codified this doctrine of the Trinity. What we've said is that looking at the Bible, we cannot deny that Jesus is um, God and Jesus is fully man. So that's fully man and fully God at the same time. Now, that's a mystery, right? Like, how does that work? It seems beyond our uh, realm of being able to grasp that. But if we're faithful to the word, that's what we have to say. But I think it just gets back to the question is, can a Jesus who is... So I agree with you. He has to be fully man in order. And, and why I say that Romans 8 says that he fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. If he wasn't fully man, it wouldn't wouldn't really count. Right. And um, but the other thing is, if he wasn't God, would would this still would he still be a saving entity? And um,
2: wasn't I mean, wasn't Adam living without Condemnation and sin prior to his fall. And the only reason why the rest of us are basically completely unqualified for that is because of the sin nature passed down through the seed of Adam. Sure. So if he was through the seed of God, mm-hmm. wouldn't that qualify him if he had lived a perfect life for that as well?
0: Well, I'm. I'm not really getting what you mean by that, but I will tell you this. I think this will answer your question, is that the reason why Adam, so that whole thing about first Adam, second Adam in Romans chapter 6, or sorry, Romans chapter 5, what that's referring to is uh, the idea in the ancient world of champions. Okay, so like a a champion, kind of like David and Goliath, right? So each, each side sends out their champion, their very best. And if the champion wins, the whole side wins. If the champion loses, the whole side loses. Um, So we see the same thing with Adam and with Jesus. Jesus is the new champion. Now, there are a few things that I would point out to you, too, is that it says that Jesus in Hebrews was um, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it says that Melchizedek had no coming forth and no father and mother, no genealogy, and he had no end. And so it would seem very clear that what it's saying is that Jesus has no beginning and has no end, and and therefore he is God. So there are a lot of, um, like I said, there there are a lot of correlations where when you look at it systematically, you can't help but come to the conclusion that he is, at least in my opinion. But I think the real question is that we have to, and I, I think this is really what we keep coming back to, is, is a Jesus who is not God able to save? And that, I think that's really the question we need to answer.
2: I, I would agree. Um, and I guess going from there, what scriptures state that there, if a man born of Jesus was able to live a perfect life and fulfill the law and died sinless, that he wouldn't qualify?
0: You mean a man born of God, I take it.
2: Yeah, so a man born of the seed of God without Adam's direct seed for descendancy.
0: Right. Yeah, and the question is, could such a person exist if they were not deity? And the other question would be, does the Bible teach that Jesus uh, is from eternity past, not only lives for eternity? So these are the questions— That uh, I think we have to answer and like I said, I I do believe the systematic view of this is going to lead you to the conclusion that Jesus is um, indeed He he must have been God in order to save us now I don't know if I can give you those answers right now off the cuff um, But I I do believe that those answers are available
2: Okay, so Um, I I I would just encourage you with on the air Um, is your email on uh, the uh, church's website, uh,
0: yeah. You can email me at the church's at uh, info at whitefieldschurch dot com. That goes to Would my it be email
2: okay to continue that dialogue at that point? Sure,
0: I'd be happy to. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. God bless you. All right, bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie uh, from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm taking your calls and texts on the air. Let's go to our next caller. I'm looking for who it is. Chastity in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Chastity. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hi.
3: Hi. How are you?
0: Doing great. What's up?
3: So my question today would be, um, who is who is it that when we? I'm sorry. When we pray, who are we supposed to be praying to, God or Jesus? And does it state that anywhere?
0: Yeah, so every time we see somebody praying in the New Testament, they're almost always praying to God. There is an instance in the book of Acts where we see them praying to Jesus. And so um, the one thing we don't see is we don't see people praying to the Holy Spirit. So that I find that interesting. Um, we are told to pray in the Spirit, but pray to the Father in the name of the Son uh through the spirit so like I said there there is one instance in the book of Acts where we see uh, someone praying to Jesus um, and so I think that we can say that there is precedent for that in the New Testament but in general the pattern that the New Testament follows is people pray to the Father through the son or in the name of the and they pray in the spirit meaning in the power of the spirit and the leading of the spirit. Um. Yeah with the help of the Spirit, so does that help I'm going to okay. tell you that I I think that you're going to be Okay to pray to Jesus or pray to the Father uh, like I said, we don't see anybody praying to the Holy Spirit in the uh, New Testament and even the example we have is only one example of somebody praying to Jesus that I am aware of in the book of Acts and so but in general, you know, you're praying to the triune God, but that that seems to be the model that we pray through the Son in the power of the Spirit to the Father.
1: Okay, all right, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, you bet. God bless you. You are. Awesome. Right. Bye bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We've come up on our half show break. Give me a call in the second half. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live, Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have all open right now coming into the second half of the show, so give me a call. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. Again, that number is 720 336 Nine seven. Let me just take the opportunity right now to invite those of you in the Longmont area to join us at the church that I pastor, Whitefields Community Church, this Sunday or any Sunday. We'd love to have you come visit us. We meet at ten a.m. on Sunday mornings in downtown Longmont. Uh, our address is seven hundred Longs Peak Avenue. Which, uh, we meet at the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. So we're right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman and right on the corner of Roosevelt Park right there downtown. So whether you're in uh, Longmont or the surrounding communities, Berthoud, Mead, Firestone Frederick, DeCono, Erie, Lafayette, uh, North Boulder, and Gunbarrel, and Niwa, and Lyons, wherever you're at in this area, we'd love to have you come and visit us. Check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear us every weekday here on uh, Grace FM at 2.30 p.m. And Sunday mornings we also air at 10 a.m. So if you're not in church for some reason at 10 a.m. on Sunday, we would love to have you tune in and listen uh, to those messages. Uh, like I said earlier, this coming Sunday at our church, we're going to be studying Romans chapter 11, which I'm uh, really excited about. We've been working our way through Romans. It's just been a really great study. And so, yeah, give us a call the number 303 690 It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720 720- three, three, six, zero, eight, nine, seven. See, we've had a, a few questions come in in the meantime on the text line. So let's go over to them. Uh, we had one question and say, it says this, just a quick question. When you die, are we judged right away or are we judged on the ultimate judgment day? So I would believe that we're actually judged on the ultimate judgment day. I believe that it will uh, go by very quickly though. So, um here's here's kind of a picture we see in the Bible of how this works. when you die, you will be taken. It says that um those who die in Christ at this point you will be taken to be in the presence of the Lord and um I kind of get I could get into a little bit of detail on that since we don't have any callers right now. um so what we see a lot of people ask this question, what happened to the believers in Jesus? or, or what, what happened to the Old Testament believers before Jesus came and died for our sins and made a way for us to go to heaven. And, and how does that relate to now? So what we see a picture of in like Luke chapter 15 is that we see this picture of um, that Jesus, or the, that there's this rich man who dies, the story of rich man and Lazarus is what it's called. And uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through thirty-one, so what we see is the story of rich man and uh, Lazarus. And um, and what we see is that this this rich man dies apart from faith, and Lazarus, though he was poor, he dies in faith. The rich man and Lazarus both go to the same general area, which is called Sheol, which uh, is the Hebrew idea of the the dwelling place of the dead. So whether you died in faith or whether you died outside of faith, everybody goes to the dwelling place of the dead. Sheol. Sheol is divided, though, we see in there in Luke 16, into two areas. On the one hand, you have Hades, which it says is a place of torment. And on the other hand, you have this area called Abraham's bosom, which is kind of a, they're both kind of holding places for those who die. Abraham's bosom for those who die in faith. Hades for those who die apart from faith. And so what we see is that they are down in this area together, Sheol, but they're in this divided area. So the one is in Abraham's bosom awaiting salvation. The other one is in Hades awaiting ultimately judgment and condemnation. And what we see is that Jesus, um, we, we have two verses that lead us to this. One is in 1 Peter, the other one is in Ephesians 4, where it says that Jesus, after he died, he descended into Sheol. And he released the captives. So what, what I believe that means, what many people believe that means, is that Jesus came down and he released those who are in Abraham's bosom because now they had died in faith that God would be merciful and save them. Um, and now the Messiah has come and has paid the price for their sins. So now he releases them and they go into the presence of God. And yet they're still waiting for something. And, and those who are in Hades stay there. And so let's say it this way. A person who dies today in faith, it says in uh, 2 Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we believe that those people, now that Abraham's bosom, those people have been released to be with the Father. Those people would who die in faith go to be in the presence of God. And those who die apart from faith are going to Hades. And in both those places, they're waiting for Judgment Day. And when Judgment Day comes... The dead will be resurrected. That's what we see. Anyone who's ever lived, everyone will be resurrected, and they will, be, uh, they will face judgment day. Now, Jesus has already taken our judgment for us, so our judgment will be a different throne or different judgment seat than those who will be judged for their sins. So we, it says uh, in Second Corinthians, we're going to face a judgment for reward, like we see in Revelation, like all these different... Um, Crowns, which probably represent something. I don't know if they're actual crowns, but um, we we have these crowns that are, you know, um, rewards for for the the life that we the things that we did with what we were given in Christ, the stewardship that we used. And then on the other hand, you have the people who they will actually face judgment for their sins. And it says at that time that Hades will be emptied into the lake of fire and and uh, forever and then it says that those though who are to salvation they will receive new bodies these uh heavenly bodies that that's the point when we receive these heavenly bodies and that is when we experience the new heavens and the new earth so i hope that that makes that timeline uh clear as to when those things take place Thanks for that question. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to Tony in New Jersey. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey, how you doing? I'm a first-time
0: caller. Awesome. Glad to have you. My question
3: to you is, um, what does God's Word say concerning divorce? My wife cheated on me twice. I love her as a person, but I just don't have that love for her as a husband and for her to be my wife. And I want to know, as far as God's word is concerned, do I have the right to divorce her?
0: Yeah, so I think that you have the right to divorce her, but I don't necessarily think that you... The Bible isn't saying that you have to divorce her, so I think that's a good way you put it. Uh, Do you have the right to divorce her? Really, that is if that's your question, I think the answer is that you have uh, biblical grounds for divorce um, because she has broken that covenant. But yet um, I I'm not going to encourage you to divorce her now. um, You know, she's cheated on you twice, and I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm sure that's that's got to be devastating. And um, and, you know, she's she's broken a bond that you have with her. There are times in the Bible, though, we see that God um, gives a picture of that, that he says, you know, marriage is a picture of his relationship with his people. And yet there were there are times when his people have been adulterous and yet he doesn't give up on them. And he keeps coming, he forgives them, and he keeps coming back to them. And so we see an example of that, for example, in the book of Hosea, where God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a woman knowing that this woman is going to cheat on him. And she actually has several kids with other people. And he ends up raising those kids as his own kids. And you can imagine, that's like a slow death, I mean, having to deal with this over the course of years, you know very painful and very difficult. And yet God tells Hosea to do this. And he tells him that this is a picture of how he is with his people, that although they are adulterous and although they are unfaithful, he continually goes after them and pursues them. So I guess I would just tell you to balance those things and really seek the Lord honestly about it. You know, Lord, what, what what's the right thing for me to do in this situation? I think you do have the, the grounds and the right to do it. I mean, that is, um, what the Bible says is that divorce is only permitted in the case of sexual immorality and, and, uh, and adultery. But at the same time, we remember Malachi chapter two, verse 16, that where God says, I hate divorce. And so I would just encourage you to pray about that. Pray about the vows that you took, you know, when you said for better or for worse, this is definitely falls in the for worse category. And, um, I just um uh, I don't I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I just want you to pray about those things.
3: One more question, but if I do which I'm really leaning forward as far as divorce and will as far as God's word is concerned, will I be held responsible for anything?
0: No, I don't think that you'll be sinning by doing this. Um I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, I think though sometimes when we ask the question about you know, is this sin? Sometimes I think we're asking the wrong question. Because, you know, if if our question is, is this sin and can I do it without God being mad at me? Sometimes the question is is no. Like in this case, the question is probably no. Uh, I mean, in the sense of, is it sin? I don't think it's sin. I don't think that God will be mad at you uh, for doing it. But on the other hand, I think that might be the wrong question to ask in the first place. I think the the right question to ask instead is, God, what is your will for me? What would you want me to do? What brings you the most pleasure? And what would be the thing that you want me to do? Since you are my Lord and uh, my master, what is the thing that you want me to do? Uh So, Tony, if you'd allow me to, I'll just pray for you. But I'm just going to pray for you to have wisdom in this because, you know, like I said, I think you can do it and um, you have, I guess, permission biblically to do it. And, you know, it's I've never been in a situation myself and, and I don't know. I uh, I can only imagine that it must be really, really difficult. And so I don't want to. You know, presume like I understand, but I, uh, I just want to pray for you to have wisdom and I just want to kind of give you the right questions to be asking and things to be thinking through. Okay. Yeah, so Heavenly Father, I pray for Tony and I ask that you would give him wisdom from you and I pray that he would have that heart that says, uh, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is your will for my life? And, uh, and what would you have me do in this situation? And, and Lord, I would just thank you for your faithful love. I pray that you would speak to Tony and that he would know um, the right move to make in this situation. And uh, we pray for his wife, Lord. I'm sorry to hear that she's doing this. Um, and, and, Lord, we just pray that you would work in her heart, Lord, that she would be saved too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. The number to call 303-690-3000, it's 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897. Let's go to Bill in Westminster, Colorado. Hey Bill, welcome to the program. Hi
3: Pastor Nick, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Go ahead. Hey, I have kind of an unusual question. I'm fairly well studied in um, prophecy and rapture, and I've been reading the Bible for years, but I, I'm kind of a little tied up on something here. So I realize that when Christ comes back for the rapture the very first time, before it kicks in the seven-year tribulation, um, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are Christians will be immediately right after them. Correct?
0: Say that one more time.
3: So... When Jesus comes back the first time to rapture his church, Mm -hmm. the dead in Christ will rise first, and then us who are living on the planet, who are followers of Christ, will go right after the dead in Christ, correct?
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
3: Okay, so if I were to die today, say, before the rapture happens, will I have an actual body in heaven and will be a spirit body and when will, will that be the time that the bodies in heaven and your bodies in the graves come together? So I, I guess that's so my question. So my answer
0: is, uh, that's a great question. I, I do believe that, well, if it's a resurrected body, we're only going to be getting our, our heavenly resurrected body after the second coming. Okay. okay. So I, I understand it to be a spiritual body. Okay, so
3: that's what it'll be, it'll be until after the second coming. is that? Oh, after the second coming, so not when. So when the rapture happens, those in the grave, it will just, those in the grave that will go first, their spirits are already in heaven, though, correct? True. So yep. will that body that is in the grave be reconnected with the body at that time? Hmm. Is
0: that what you're a, talking about? It's a great question. I mean it's, it's kind of confusing isn't it? It is confusing. Yeah, my understanding has always Yeah, my understanding has always been that um that we will have spiritual bodies in heaven until the final resurrection at which time you know we will have those heavenly bodies um and the new heavens and the new earth. So that's always been how I understood it but I think you're asking a really good question here. Um the the one thought is you know is it just kind of an anthropomorphism idea, meaning it's putting it in terms that we can understand that the dead in Christ will be raised first. Um, Man, that's a tough one. Yeah, I think you got me stumped too. Because I was just talking about this with somebody else the other day and we were walking through this timeline like I did just a few minutes ago and saying that um, in heaven, we're not going to have our resurrected bodies yet, our new heavenly bodies, until after the second coming of Jesus. So maybe what it is, is that we have some sort of resurrection body for the time that we are in heaven. Um, and yet it's not the full the full um, body of what we will become when Jesus' second coming takes place and all things are made new. Does that make sense?
3: So I can tell you one thing, Pastor I guess we're okay. going to find out one of these days.
0: Oh, you bet it.
3: And I, I can't wait. So yeah. if I don't meet you anytime before then I'll see you in heaven, brother.
0: Hey, sounds great, Bill. I Take look care, man. To it. God, God bless you. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have about 12 minutes left in the show. The number to call, 303-690-3000. It's 690 3000 Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go back to our text line and see who has texted in. We have um, a question here. It says, My question is regarding the book of Genesis in the part where Cain murders his brother Abel. At this point, it was my understanding that they were the first people that existed. But when God tells Cain, he has to leave um, Cain is afraid that someone will kill him because what he has done. And as time passes, the book speaks about Cain's family and his wife and kids. Does that mean there were other people in the world in the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel beside them? I thought everyone came from them somehow. Thanks, Pastor. Yeah, a few things on this. Uh, we, we know from Genesis that people were living really long lives, and they had been given a decree from God to fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, to have lots of babies. And so, yeah, you know, it also says that Cain went out and married someone. So how did Cain marry somebody? Well, the answer to this and and this is, you know, whether you whatever you're gone uh, on the creation is, you know, so some people um, believe that the six day creation, others believe in epoch creation Uh, Whatever your view on it, I mean, everybody believes that everybody came from Adam and Eve. Every human being came from Adam and Eve. And so the simple answer to this is that Adam and Eve had other kids that we don't know about. Now, um, just because the Bible doesn't tell us that they had other kids, uh, we can gather that they did since they were the first people who lived. And so we have Adam and Eve, and then apparently they had lots of kids. And uh, does that mean that Cain married his sister? Yep, that's what it means, and even if even if you believe in evolution, let's put it this way, that, that like human evolution, you, you can't get around the fact that the first people from which we all derive, in the beginning, they were marrying their direct relatives. Now, in um, Genesis, this also makes sense from one other perspective, and I'll tell you what that is. It's that... Um, I, I just taught at this Bible college last week up in Estes Park for a week, and I taught the book of Genesis. And one of the questions that one of the students asked was, you know, tell me, explain to me like this thing about people living longer lives and, and correlating that with the flood and all of these things. And so here's kind of what, what happened is that what it seems is that, you know, with Adam and Eve, you know, being the first people, basically they are the purest form of the gene pool. Everybody who comes after that is is derived from them. And so we see what we see in Genesis, what it's describing is not an evolution, neither anthropologically uh, nor physically. And what I mean by anthropologically is this. Um, sometimes people will say, well, here's how religion developed. It developed that people were like cavemen and they lived in caves and they just like worshiped nature and the sun and the moon and all and rocks and stuff and trees. And then they got a little more sophisticated and then they started worshiping abstract, meaning like unseen things, deities, spirits, and had multiple deities and they were polytheists and they worshiped lots of gods. And then after that, they became more sophisticated, and finally the, the top tier of sophistication was when they became monotheists and they believed in one God. And the Bible actually teaches just the opposite when it comes to that idea of religious cultural anthropology. And that is that we're not um, developing, we're devolving. We're not evolving, we're devolving. We're going from order into chaos, and which also fits with the laws of physics. You know, everything's moving from order into chaos. And so what we see in the beginning is that in the beginning, it wasn't that people discovered God after worshiping nature. It was that People knew God. It's just they didn't like God because they didn't want Him to be Lord over them. So instead, they chose to worship other things, and they made up gods of their own. And, and the same thing, being true with the gene pool. So, so that's anthropologically, physically also, we are devolving in the sense that we are not, um, we're not getting better, but the gene pool is is getting. You know, we we are as human beings are not living longer. We're living shorter now. In the last, you know, couple hundred years, yeah life spans have gotten longer but they only get longer to a certain extent so what we see in Genesis people living really long lives and um, and so bringing that all back around to Cain and Abel what we see is that these people um, there were other people around because Adam and Eve had other children so were they their relatives yes they were and and so their their names are not recorded in the Bible. And this, here's why. Because Genesis isn't seeking to give us a comprehensive history. It's seeking to be laser focused on the history of one particular family line, which is the line which leads to Jesus, the Messiah. Those first 11 chapters of Genesis exist to give us kind of the worldview questions, right? Like, where do we come from? Where are we going? What's wrong with the world? How did things become the way that they are? So that's why it's called um, Primeval History, Genesis 1 through 11. And so that's it tells us the story of Cain and Abel to basically illustrate the fact that sin came into the world and sin touched everybody who was descended from Adam and Eve. And we see that that immediately right after that we see murder, we see envy, strife, all kinds of things. And so I hope that answers Your question with that, but good question. Thank you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We've got six minutes left in the show. Let's go to Rita in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Rita. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Pastor Nick. I have, this is in Mark chapter six. And it it talks about in uh, verses uh, three through six, it talks about uh, Jesus goes back to his hometown, of course, and they took offense of him. And uh, so he did little miracles there. So they mm-hmm. took offense by uh, not accepting who he was because he was doing this. This was people that grew up with him. Is that what that that means?
0: Yeah. Yeah, these are okay. people who knew him. They grew up. Yeah, I mean, and you can imagine what this is like, right? They're like, hey, we've known this guy. We went to elementary school with this guy, right? Like, uh, yeah. who does this guy think he is coming around now? Um, you know claiming to be from god
1: okay so uh jesus did very little in that town and then verse 29 and 30 uh john the baptist of course got his head chopped off so after that his disciples went in and took his body and put laid it in a tomb and then in verse 30 it says The apostles gathered uh, together with Jesus, and they uh, reported to him all that they had done and taught. And so are John's people that followed him called disciples and the people that followed Jesus? You know, I'm talking personal around him, Mm -hmm. called apostles. And then, of course, I'm, I'm sure that John's disciples went to follow Jesus after John was killed. That's my thought.
0: Yeah, no. And I, I would assume the same thing. No. So the answer is uh, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him what they had done and taught. That is a reference to Jesus's uh, right. 12 um, disciples when it says in 29 his disciples is speaking of John's disciples.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So I didn't know if there was a difference between disciples and apostles. There is a difference
0: in general. Um, And I think what it's doing there is it's using the word apostles to speak of Jesus' disciples to make sure that just kind of as shorthand to make sure that we understand that it's talking about the 12 who were close to Jesus. Um, Because it's been talking about these other disciples who were disciples of John. It doesn't want us to get confused about who's who. So it just makes it really clear. The apostles returned to Jesus. Now, there is a difference between those two words. Um, Disciple is a student. That's all it means. A student, someone who follows. A, A teacher or a master learns from them. An apostle, the Greek word apostolos, it literally just means one who is sent. And so by the time the Gospel of Mark was written... You know, this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven and he has sent out his apostles. And so they were known as the apostles, these sent ones. And so this is a reference to them uh, being the apostles. And people would know who this was referring to. But in general, yes, there is a difference between a disciple and an apostle.
1: Okay, and I thought that was so close. You just kind of look at it and go, okay. (laughs) Um, then because I was reading it today and then in, in verses 48, we're still in the same chapter, it was talking about Jesus walking on the water, and his intent was to pass them by, but the apostles saw, I mean, they saw him, the apostles did, and so they called out to him, and he walked over and got in the boat, and of course the storm ceased, and then in 51, he said he got into the boat with them, and the the wind stopped, and they were uh, they were greatly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hard hardened, mm-hmm. and so this is talking about the seven loaves and the two you know some fish, a few fish, right and yeah. so because they didn't understand that, and I'm thinking too about the the five loaves and two fish, because they didn't understand that their heart was their heart was hardened. Mm -hmm. I I guess I don't understand
0: Yeah, so it's they're they're struggling to uh, believe and um, they're astonished for they did not understand about the loaves and what that means is they didn't understand about the loaves in other words they weren't remembering the loaves they weren't remembering what Jesus had just done if they had then they would have trusted but their hearts were hardened and so they were not let's let's put it this way they were not actively remembering it or bringing it to mind and and I think there's a direct application for us there is that when we're not thinking and reminding ourselves of who God is and what he's capable of and what he's done in the past, what can happen is a, an unbelieving hardness can, can develop in our hearts. And I think that's as simple as it was, is that they were not, uh, they were not trusting in Jesus in the midst of the storm because they weren't remembering actively what he had just done, even though he had just done it that same day. And so that, that's, that's astonishing there.
1: Okay, because when I read that, but, I thought, uh, man. <laughs> I'm going
0: to have to let you go now, Rita, because we have come to the end of our show. But I do appreciate the dialogue. It's been great studying God's Word with you. God bless you. God bless you, you,
1: too.
0: You've been listening to Calvary Live. This has been Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Wish you a great Friday. God bless you. Tune in to Calvary Live every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. You've been that's listening good. to Calvary Live.